Hello and welcome back to Leader Up, a podcast of Army Management Staff College. Leader Up is a professional conversation where we discuss a broad range of leadership and leader development topics with an emphasis on the Army civilian professional. I'm your host, David Howey. On today's episode of Leader Up, we have uh, a very special guest. Our guest today is Ms. Lisa Bennett, and she is an assistant G2 at TRADOC, and she is also a member of the Senior Executive Service. And so, Ms. Lisa Bennett, thank you for joining us today on Leader Up. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I always love doing these talks because um, I know people took me under wing and helped me to be successful through the years. And so if I can just give a little bit back and a little bit of encouragement to people who may think I'm never going to get to that that point in the Army service where I want to be, I think that's what we owe back to the service. So thanks again for having me over this morning. Well, you're very welcome. We The, the appreciation is, is all of ours. So let's just start off with um, kind of your background, uh, how, kind of big picture, how you got to where you are now in your career. So I think it's a, I think I'm a typical American. Um, I grew up in a family of immigrants. Um, my grandparents uh, never really learned to speak English. My parents are not high school graduates. Um, I worked for uh, a retired command master chief of Pack Fleet uh, who served during World War II and who, had, who really pushed me to go to college. Uh, and so I went off to a junior college. I went to LSU Shreveport. Uh, and while I was there, um, I joined the reserves as part of the simultaneous membership program. So you're automatically an E5. I was a 71 Lima, which is a 42 Alpha today. So I'm a fierce typist. If you ever need somebody to type for you, I can do that. And, you know, I got to go to the drill sergeant school. I was a lieutenant. And then I came on active duty and spent about 27 and a half years on active duty as a military intelligence officer and had every typical assignment that you can imagine, not really producing intel. I was always in those jobs as a planner, an ops chief, uh, a commander at multiple levels, three company commands, battalion command, um, did it, did about 32 months in combat in Iraq. And, and you know, it's just, it's just, those things that you do, being a planner, being an exercise planner, running crisis ops for the J-2 of PACOM, um, and those kinds of things. And when I retired, I luckily found a job as a GS-14 uh, back uh, in East Georgia at Fort Gordon, where my family lived. And uh, it took many years. I mean, I've been an Army civilian now about 13 and a half years. And it took... Um, 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 about nine years to get selected as a GS-15. Uh, and then I was a 15 for about a year, maybe two years, and then got selected for this position. Now, while while it is true that I am a member of the executive service, I'm a member of what's called the Defense Intelligence Service. So my, my title is not SES, it's Defense Intelligence Senior Level or DISL, but it's the equivalent of a Tier 1 SES. So all the same, you know, only thing I don't do is I don't supervise people. So I don't, I'm like a scientific advisor. I'm a, a, an advisor more than the guys and gals that are running budgets and hundreds of, of people. Okay. And so does that, now you've got me curious about that. So does that, does that mean that you in your job, if you were to go to a different job, that you would stay in the intelligence world? 
Is that kind of what that means? Or is that implied in that? Well, it, it could be. If I applied for another intelligence position uh, at the senior level, yes, then I would stay. We're Title X accepted service. Um, but if I wanted to be a an SES uh, like what we have across the Army, then I would have to change to the Title V competitive service. And so, I, I mean, this is what I've done my whole life. I think it's a little, I don't say it's too late for me to jump over. I just haven't really thought about jumping over to the other side at this point. Okay, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, can you talk a little bit about, uh, as much as you can, just your current job, what you do, and what kind of things uh, uh, are on your mind from, from day to day? So it's a very, I would say, complex job, right? So we have uh, in the TRADOC G2, what we provide to the Army is the operational environment. We write out about eight to 10 years what we think the threats are going to be. We align that with the intelligence community. We don't we don't come up with this on our own. It is certainly that that across what the DNI is saying, what the the Army G two is saying. We are all very synchronized on where we see the the problems in the world. China as our pacing threat, Russia, which is still a very uh, lethal capability. Um, Iran, North Korea, so forth. So we have a large analytical control element that's at Fort Eustis. They write all of these products. And the funny thing is, is most of what we do, we produce unclassified. We do some very limited classified production, but we do training aids for the Army. What I do, my position is we have a smaller element within the G2 that actually goes out and does engagement across the Army. For example, uh, I provide oversight for the Army's uh, training and certification of the opposing forces at all the CTCs. And if I had ever thought that I would have a job where I'd have to go to NTC in July again, I would certainly not have thought that it would be this job. So I've been to the training centers, JMRC, NTC, JRTC, almost as many times as a DISOL as I went in my entire Army career. So it's quite fun because you get to go out and observe. I don't have to live out there. I just have to go out and observe the op force to make sure that they are doing the threat tactics necessary and emulating those to train the force for any future conflicts that we may have to fight. So that's one thing that I do. The second thing, I take all of this production that our team does at Fort Eustis, and I go to the centers of excellence uh, where we train the force, the future force, and then we train the NC academies and officer schools and we are integrating all things China into the curriculum the LDTNE leader development training education programs today like Army University this year will move from a, a European scenario to an Indo-PACOM scenario that the team has worked with them over the last 18 months to build and we've got it certified it's ready to go so now that will trickle down through all of TRADOC but that, it doesn't stop there. We also work with Intelligence and Security Command, which is a global organization to train them. We're working with uh, Forces Command with the, the G357 and the G2 to make sure that they have all our data because it's all unclassified. So any commander can pick it up and use it. Um, so then I write off on doctrine. Um, I, occasionally I will go and and, you know, 
we have meetings all over the world. So people first meeting, I sit in those things. So all those normal things to run the army and make sure that it's moving where we need it to be for army 2030, we have, we play a part in that. But mine is the delivery of the OE to the force so that they understand what's available to them unclassified. So to say that I'm busy last year, I'll give you an example. I traveled about 65,000 miles last year. So I, I jokingly say I just come back to Leavenworth to mow the grass and pay my bills and off I go again. So um, I know that's a long answer, but it's a busy job. And I've been to uh, the National Training Center in July, and yeah, it is. it gets hot out there, absolutely. Um, great fun, though. <laughs> yeah, it is. It was a great, I, I was stationed there for three years as a senior captain. It was a great place to be. Um, so let's, you, I'm really intrigued by your background because you've been on many sides of the fence. You were National Guard, uh, you were in ROTC, you were active duty, then you were an Army civilian, uh, and now you're a, uh, a senior civilian. Let's talk a little bit about the role of Army civilians, uh, and thinking back on all the way back into the past. How has the role of Army civilians in the Army changed now as compared to maybe what it used to be even 20 years ago or even further back than that? It's really changed a lot. So that question, oftentimes that question troubles me because I know that as an Army officer that I did not give due justice to the civilians that we had in our, in our units. I knew they were there. I knew they provided critical linkage to those of us in uniform that moved around. The intelligence community has always been very heavy with contractors, which is a different subset of a very necessary piece of the, of the force that we pay for. And I, and I always acknowledged the work that my civilians did, but it never dawned on me that I was responsible for their training and their education and keeping them technically current. And it didn't, it dawned on me greatly when I retired where it's pretty much rota, right? If I stay in so long and I'm, I'm an 05 promotable, I'm probably going to go to one of the war colleges. If I'm a staff sergeant, I'm going to go to, to PME. Those things happen. Your promotions happen. You go to boards automatically. You get training automatically. But for our civilians, where our civilian education system, up until recently for supervisors, it is not mandatory. And our commanders in the field normally don't track it because they're not required to report it on their USRs. So after I became an Army civilian and I thought, I don't have any opportunities. I have no opportunities for training. I have no opportunities to go to school. I don't, I don't even know how to get myself uh, ready to apply for a GS-15 or a GG-15 job. So I started self-educating, and I started talking to c- civilians who had been in the service many years, but they didn't know either. And so I have made it my personal goal that every civilian that I meet I, I've been their ear off on, hey, do you know about these 
these training opportunities? Do you know about CES? Have you been? What about technical skills? Did you know the Army will pay for you to get, um, like if you're a 2210, which is an IT professional, that they'll get your certifications for you? Uh, And I'm always really shocked at how many people do not know and do not believe that if they ask, they'll be told no. So they just don't ask. So it's breaking down those barriers to understanding what's available for them and then pushing them to actually say, I can be gone from my job for a year. Because at the end of the day, if you leave, we're going to hire someone else. If God forbid you would die, we're going to hire somebody else. So we can definitely allow you to go to school for two or three or four weeks to up your chances and keep yourself technically competent. And the best thing you learn from going to school, bar none, it's not about, it is all about what you're learning, but it's the people that you learn from. Like I would never have known in the world that we have a chief scientist for sleep in the army. Seriously? Who knew that? Or that I could go on and on and on of the people that I've met. I met a young lady last year who helped, who helped get the COVID vaccine out to the United States. She's taken off her normal job. This is what you're going to do, and you're going to work on this task force. I didn't know these people existed, and that's what the schooling does for us. Plus, we need a technical force for 2030 and beyond, and we have a lot of people, a lot of civilians who have been in the same position for, for decades, and their position descriptions may or may not have ever been updated. That is not just their problem uh, or their responsibility, but their bosses. But we have to upgun their skills as well for this future army that we're building, a generational build of a future army with very complex weapon systems. So I've taken it on as my own personal goal to get people trained. And if I, if I succeed in one a year, I think that's a win. But it's much more than that because there's so many of us that just are, are not even aware of what's available. And my experience is is almost exactly the same. I I was a senior captain. I left active duty, and I got hired here at Fort Leavenworth in the public affairs office. That was in 1994, and the opportunities were there, but I had, like you're saying, I had to go find what the opportunities were and work all of that out on my own. And um, so, yes, there things are out there. These programs. Uh, and policies are out there for civilian training. But I agree with you that there's a lot of people, they kind of might know about it, but but they don't know how to get into the system and, and take advantage of it. And unfortunately, right. go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. And, and I agree with you. And, and here's an example. National Defense University has a, a subordinate college called iCollege. It's online. You can get a chief chief information officer or chief information security officer certificates for free. You can get a master of science in those, those and other programs for free. You just have to apply for it and then do the work. And it's tough. I, I have those certificates and it was probably two of the hardest schools I've ever been to in my life. But we across the force don't know that this is available to us. We have civilians that there are some that know you can get a bachelor's, master's, PhD, and the Army will pay for it, but it's you've got to dig for that information. And I just think we could do a better job of getting the information out to the population and then encouraging people to, to go after these skill sets, which we, which we seriously need for the future force. And so let's talk about leadership 
and leader development. You kind of talked about that uh, in terms of the schooling, but just within the within the formation, um, why is it important for us as Army civilians to understand and develop ourselves, not just from the technical side, the functional side, uh, the the stability and continuity side, but the leadership? Why is it important for us as Army civilians to understand, study, and look at ourselves in terms of leadership? Well, because we're leaders as well. We may think that that just because we have a, a senior civilian in charge of us or a senior military officer who gives us our who gives us our missions and allows us to to execute them within our organizations, we are leaders just as much as the military are. The military will rotate every one, two, three, four years around us, and we are that long term continuity of the organization. We understand the history. We might be that one person that works on a program that takes seven or eight years to get that program from inception to delivery to the force who understands every nuance of how we got there. And we need to understand that. More importantly, when our military have to deploy, which they do more often than I think anyone understands, we have to fill that gap when they're gone. And so not everybody is a natural-born leader. You can be taught leadership, but there are a couple truisms about it. Listen to your people. Get up from behind your desk when they're talking to you and sit in a chair next to them. Don't have a pen or a phone or a notebook in your hand. Just eyeball to eyeball. Listen to what they're saying so you can comprehend where they're coming from. Do that one basic thing. I was I worked on an admiral's personal staff many, many years ago, and she used to tell me, Lisa, let's go. We're going to do leadership by walkabout. I thought, what is this woman talking about? And what it is, it's the same thing we do. We know that in the Army as your people only do what you check. And the admiral was walking around talking to people because people will tell you all kinds of stuff in private that they will never tell you in a public forum. And so that leadership by walkabout, checking what people are doing, showing interest in what people are doing is so critically important. And then I think I would probably close that by saying that regardless of a civilian or military's rank that you have in your organization, absolutely every one of them is important. Everyone, the lowest private to the most senior general, has a valued input to the organization, and we should empower them to have their say, respectfully, of course, and in the proper venues. Now, that sounds very like, oh, I don't really want to hear. I do want to hear. I want to hear what everybody has to say, because sometimes the best ideas, you look at people and you're like, I had no idea that you even knew what we were working on, because you're so junior in the organization. And and we give those opportunities and we find those diamonds in the rough that we need in our in our service. And my experience has been that people don't necessarily want to get their way uh, solely, only that, but they want to be listened to and heard and understood. So if I'm trying to make a point, is it understood? Is my chain of command to understand what I'm saying? I don't expect to have it done my way, but do 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 they do do my leaders understand where I'm coming from? So listening, like you said, listening uh, and understanding are are huge things. Yes, absolutely. I I, I think because 
because we all are here. We have a task or mission that we've been given. And the worst soul-crushing thing that can happen to someone is that they do all this work and it just gets bundled up and put on the shelf and nobody does anything with it. And I think that if we give people things to do, we as the supervisors and the leaders, we're obligated to go back and make sure that it's on track, it's still necessary, still needed, or redirect the efforts of that workforce onto something that we might need more. But giving positive feedback, there is a way to give negative feedback if something's not working the way that it needs to be. And, you know, that's that uh, that praise in public and, and you know, counsel in private uh, that adage that we've all learned is so critically important. Um, you should, you, you know, and I, I will truthfully admit that I have had to learn this the very hard way is that when you raise an eyebrow or you raise your voice at people, it will take you forever to get that person to listen to you again. And so I can truthfully say that that Lisa Bennett, that was the NCO in the reserves, and Lisa Bennett, the officer in the Army, is a completely different Lisa Bennett that you see sitting in front of you today. Because as you, I would say, as I've matured, I've learned to listen more and speak a lot less. Listen to what those pe- what people that I work with, and and, and you know, I, we use this term subordinate. And I'm just going to say right here that I hate that term. Okay, it's for one of an education or opportunity that I'm not working for you. And so if we treat people very equally, they will act like they are on the same team and the same level, knowing that one of us is going to be the decision maker, but it doesn't mean that you can't be a full partner in the endeavors that we're doing. At what point and how did you come to the decision uh, to become a member of the senior executive service? How how did that happen? Uh, did, did someone encourage you to do it? Did you just see the opportunity and what, and what if it, let's say I'm I'm a forty uh, five year old GS thirteen fourteen fifteen and I kind of want to do that. What kind of things do I need to start thinking about uh, in order to to do to have that same career goal? So I would say first and foremost, think big, think big, learn about money, learn about people and money. If you understand how money works in the army, and if you don't. Find somebody that does and get them to mentor you. Read everything you can. It is a huge shortfall that I have in my own background that I understand the big picture money, but not how it really technically works. And I think that as a senior, I I work on that almost every day. I read something different about how that works. So focus on how the money works. Understand how you get people. And it's all really resources, time, equipment, people, and money. Uh, and if you understand those things, then you will set yourself uh, head head and shoulders above your peers. Now, the other thing, too, I would say is you – I, as an Army civilian, never expected that I would leave Fort Gordon. I had multiple jobs on Fort Gordon as a 14 and a 15 um, – 11 years of it all in the same organization, Intelligence and Security Command, because they've got four units there and I just traveled around. And so if you want to do this, you will have to move from your home. It is, you cannot stay in one place. And and I, I say this and I, I, I know this is a podcast, but I live separate from my husband and kids. Okay, to have this position. It was done purposefully. Uh, my family all got a vote. They're like, yeah, mom, go do it. Uh, and so I did this. Now, now you say, how did I get here? Absolute perseverance. I, I can say that I probably have applied for 
a good dozen Dysel and Dicey's positions uh, before I was selected. And I interviewed for all of them, but it's a very, very competitive steep step. And and once you get there, it is nothing like being a, a, a rank and file 15 and below civilian. It is completely different what you're looking at and what you're asked to do. So the bottom line is know your craft, be known by your community take an opportunity. We have programs where you can apply to do 179-day temporary duties across the Army. Apply to those programs. Apply to the SEATM EATM program where you can go and get to the War College or you can go to ILE here at, at Leavenworth. Be known by not just your community, but the people who who are most likely going to sit on your selection panel. And if they know you, the chances of you getting past everybody else that they know just gives you one up on everyone else. And and, and because it, it is, you have to be technically expert. You have to know how the Army works. And it's all about perseverance. Apply, apply, apply. SES executive qualifications that you have to write about are terribly hard to write. Start now. Get them off of USA Jobs. OPM has a, a, a little book you can pull down. Write them. Get other people to review them. Write them again. Write them again. Write them again. And th- you'll get good at it. And the last thing I'd say about if you want to apply, if that job's open for 14 days and you don't have a resume and ECQ's already written, you cannot get it done in 14 days. So you have to have a packet ready that you can adjust to that new opening. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. Let's talk about the symbol of the uh, senior executive service. And what does that mean? What does it mean to you? And and in your mind, why is that the symbol for the senior executive service? So I'm I'm going to say that I had to I had to really dig for this one and it kind of makes me chuckle because I've I've looked at it I have you know colors we get a set of colors which is incredibly humbling and they're in the corner of my office and I pulled them out yesterday I mean they're not hidden right they're there everybody sees them when they walk in and I looked at it I'm like I have no idea what this thing is so I got online and I really had to dig on the internet to find and and so it's a keystone and so you know I'm a huge historian on the side and you know, that keystone holds up uh, heavyweight, all right? Um, you, it's normally you'll see them in an arch on an older building, uh, and that keystone, if you pull it out, the arch will fall down. So when you think about that the senior executive service are that keystone, uh, and then the description says that we tie the more senior military and, and political uh, appointees to the GS-15 and, and the rest of the service below, we're that integral piece to help pull the service together and keep us all moving in the same direction. So I found that, thanks for giving me a research topic. You're um, welcome. And, uh, but it was really interesting because I just didn't know, but it, it does, it does make sense after I read about it that that's clearly what we're here for. So as the military officers move, just like the rest of the civilians in our formations, they are here and they are they are keystones just like the SES in keeping those units on focus and moving and moving where we need to be. And that keystone is kind of that 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 is kind of that stability and continuity 
that, that holds everything together, I think. Yeah. It, and it's interesting that you say that because if you're an SES Title V in the Army, um, you know, they really do move them around. Right. I mean, they have these little boards and they get moved. We don't get we don't get moved like that as defense intelligence uh, uh, senior level. And we have defense intelligence senior executive service. So once we kind of get hired, we're really, because we're technical experts, we're really kind of where we're at unless we apply to go to a, another formation. I'd like to talk to you about uh, some leadership topics, and um, there's there's two that I used to hear about, and you've talked about these a little bit uh, up to this point, and there's two that I used to hear a lot about in the classroom in the intermediate course, and these are 10s, 11s, and 12s, and um, the the two topics are delegation and feedback, and so let's start with delegation People struggle with that, and they don't, they don't know how to do it right. And so what insight do you have about why we delegate, the importance of delegation, and, and what, the, what the outcome is of effective delegation? So I, I, I can truthfully say that most of us don't like to delegate because I can just get it done faster. I don't have to argue with you to, to get you to understand what I want you to do. But here's why it's so critically important. I'm not always here. I told you earlier, I travel incessantly. And so if I don't delegate, it doesn't get done. But more, more importantly than just tasking someone, I am doing a couple of things. One, I'm training you to be that leader that we need in the formation. I'm enabling you to learn a new skill. I, I trust you enough that if I delegate a task to you, I trust you that you're going to execute it. And so if we give the right mission command kind of guidance when we give out these delegations, task missions, but delegate to an individual person, we we enable them to grow and learn. And even if they make a mistake, that's okay. Okay, we can help them to learn from those mistakes, but otherwise we're never going to train people to be able to do more than what they're doing today. You know, all of our position descriptions say 25% other as, as I forget the exact statement, but it's like 25% other duties as assigned. And that's where a lot of that delegation comes in. You know, and if I give it you something to do, I trust you to get it done. I'm normally going to check you maybe one time, and then I just expect it to be done. And I rarely, if ever, am disappointed when I do that delegation. But it really is all about growing the force and giving them the the courage to know that they can do these these missions and tasks when we delegate them to them. And then feedback, everybody's favorite topic. Uh, feedback is a gift. And, and so what what insights do you have or maybe some experiences or things that you've learned about uh, feedback, getting or giving? So feedback's hard, right? Okay. And so because, you know, there's positive feedback. Hey, Lisa, you did a good job. And hey, Lisa, come here. We need to talk about, you know, X, right? So there's positive and negative feedback. Positive, simple. We can do that publicly, we can do it privately, we can do it in email. First of all, never give feedback by email. I mean, just stop already. Nobody, we get, I'm inundated by email, but seriously, talk to people. 
give them the positive feedback. So we, we can say that whether it's in your evaluation or it's that delegated task that I gave you to, to do that perhaps you did really well and I want to acknowledge that in public, I'm giving you positive affirmation and feedback. The negative feedback's much harder. But and you should always start something positive, give them the really negative, end on a positive note when you give feedback, whether it's their evaluation, their quarterly, semi-annual uh, counseling that you have to do, whether it's on a packet that they did for you, whether it's on an application to go to a school. But people can't grow if you don't give them feedback. And we as leaders have to be as open-minded about feedback as the as everyone else in the force. We deserve feedback just as well. Hey, you're kind of off track here a little bit. Because just because we hold this rank and we have maybe a corner office doesn't mean that we know everything or that we have every technical skill. So I, I just I just know that we can't do everything. We have to grow new leaders positive and then that not so positive feedback have to be done choose the right time and place to do it Uh, make sure that you are not doing any feedback when you're angry do it when you are calm especially if there's been an incident that didn't quite go right just hold that thought hold it for tomorrow hold it till next week and then do it Uh, because that doesn't solve anything if you do things when you're angry Thank you for that. That's uh, very, very interesting. Um, and so in, in our remaining time that we have with mm-hmm. you, I'd like to talk about what we call our uh, leader up top threes, uh, if you're willing to, to talk sure. about these. First one is uh, top three leadership books. Do you have some favorite leadership books that you would recommend to folks out in our audience? So, of course. So my, my first, of course, I'm going to point you to Army Leadership uh, AR-622. I know you probably get told that all the time. It's a great book. Go read it. It's going to point you in the right direction. It'll teach you some tools on how to how to actually be an effective leader, how to counsel, how to bring other leaders along. But I've got two others that I really like, and one of them is Leaders Eat Last. So, you know, when I was assigned with the Navy for, for about four years, in the Navy, the officers don't eat last, they eat first. Okay, and it's just completely different from anything I've ever learned in my life. I would never eat before my soldiers. I don't do it now. If we have a function, I wait till everybody else eats before I'll go and, and grab something to eat. So in this, it's called eat, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. And he also wrote the book, uh, uh, I think it's How Do You Get to Why or something like that. It's a fantastic book as well. Uh, and then uh, I went to, I had the very um, incredible opportunity to go to the JFK School of Government at Harvard and take the senior executive fellows. And we had Brene Brown come and talk to us. And she has a book called Dare to Lead. And Dare to Lead, really many of us are frightened to lead. We It is it is not human to get outside the pack and be that individual who is responsible for the rest of what everybody does. So it gives you some really insightful things about yourself and about how to how to how to take control and manage uh, not just you but other people. I highly recommend that. All of those books are quick reads. Uh, they don't take long, and I, I, I recommend them. Yeah, I, I love Brene Brown's work. Um, it, her, it's, it's all about not expecting yourself to be perfect, uh, loving yourself with your flaws, and being real and authentic with people. Yeah, and, and you know, with her, you can just go, both her and uh, Simon Sinek, you can just go on YouTube and, right. and Google and, and query them, and they've got videos. You can just, or you can go to TED Talks. They both have fantastic TED Talks, and you can just listen to them. You don't have to read the book, but I recommend the books. 
And our second set of top three is uh, top three skills or competencies for Army leaders. So I kind of talked a little bit about this uh, earlier, and my first is listen. Truly listen to what people are telling you. Don't talk. Don't take notes. Get away. I said earlier, get away from your desk. I learned this when I was a brigade too. Just back in the in the early nineties, my brigade commander would ha, he had his office set up different. He had all these antique weapons, and he had uh, Persian carpets on the floor, and he had uh, lamps and stuff. I thought, this is this an army office? Um, and it disarmed people so they would talk to him. It wasn't that stark back when we used to have that really weird green paint on every building. It was uh, it was just beautiful like you were in someone's living room. So we don't all do that, right? Okay. But if you talk to people and you listen to them, the second thing is don't stop learning. Okay. You don't have to be the technical expert, but you have to keep learning. You have to understand that today people might not think the same way as you. Like I am a, I'm a wirehead. I'm self-taught. I love anything about technology, but I'm not an early adopter. I adopted second. Thank God I never bought a Betamax, right? Okay. So, because I would have chosen poorly. I know I just lost most of the crowd on that one. So, but. Or but, a laser disc. Or a laser disc, right? But don't stop learning because it's just important. Important so you can keep up with your team that might be doing some very technical stuff. And then the final thing I would say is everyone on your team is important. Make room for them. Make them feel included. Listen to what they have to say. And because they're junior, you have to open opportunities for them to be seen and heard. Because otherwise they will get lost in the sauce. So we have to do that. And then our final top three, and I, I think you've addressed this, but I will, let, let's just return to it. Uh, leadership lessons learned, just some things that you've uh, seen over the years, uh, things that lessons that you've learned that you've seen that you would pass on to, to people coming in behind us. Sure. So I, I think I've addressed some of these, but these are the ones that I've had to learn probably the hard way. Own your mistakes in public own them. If you if you do it, own it. Don't blame it on somebody else. Don't slough it off. Stand up, be brave, say it clear-eyed and with a steady voice that you made the mistake and you own it. Okay? Don't I mean that's just so incredibly important for your team to see that you are a human. The second one, apologize to people if you need to. And again, you can do that privately or publicly, but if you're wrong, go and apologize to people. Uh, and then the third one is control your anger and don't be passive aggressive, okay? Because that is like a, a sport uh, in in many organizations is that you can that people are passive aggressive and it just frightens the heck out of people uh, because they never know how you're going to behave from day to day. Just be your authentic self. Whatever I learned in the reserves in the in the early '80s. When I joined the, the Army in 1982, that, that what my drill sergeants, who were all Vietnam veterans, and my officers were all Vietnam veterans, multiple combat tours, those things that they taught and instilled in me about good leadership and understanding your weapon systems have carried me forward to where I am today. So if you apply and you go to the next rank, don't change. Be your authentic self. But learn these other things and learn from people like me that you don't have to go down those roads because they're really hard to dig yourself out of a hole if you get into a hole with your with your people and your organization. So I, I think that would be my three. 
Okay, thank you for that. That's uh, very enlightening. Uh, I've I really enjoyed talking to you today. And uh, Ms. Lisa Bennett, thank you so much for giving up your time today to come and talk to our Leader Up audience. Thank you for being with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I'll just leave with one thing. Don't be afraid to try. Anything that you don't try is an automatic no. You may be told no if you if you try to do things, but you may not, and you'll probably surprise yourself. Thanks, everybody, and thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. And thank you. And so, Leader Up audience out there, what did you hear from Ms. Lisa Bennett that kind of got your attention, that made you rethink things that you're doing, decisions that you've made, uh, and relooking the opportunities that you have? Uh, stay in touch with us. Let us know about this episode and any other things that we can do to serve you, the members of the Army Civilian Corps out there. And join us again next time for another edition of Leader Up. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or would like to learn more about our podcast, please check the description for our email and for our website. Thanks for listening. <laughs>